and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Now stop there for a moment. We oftentimes think that this, this covenant was only with, with who? With Noah. But it wasn't only with Noah, it was with God's all of his living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on earth. We know the story of Noah. The story where God had seen the wickedness of humanity. That the, for some reasons, man, man's wickedness had grown so much that God had gotten so tired and fed up with the wickedness of humanity that He said, I'm done. I'm done. But His grace was greater than His anger. And in that, He took one family, Noah and his family, And he set them apart and he says, I'm going to start everything all over with you again. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm first going to destroy the earth, but I'm going to rescue you for one purpose. That you would start the lineage again. And so that's what happened. And what God had said to Noah was, is that I'm going to destroy the earth, but I will never destroy it like that again. It will never happen. What's going to happen is there's going to be floodwaters and everything will die. But once this happens, never will I destroy the earth again. And he used the symbol of a rainbow. And we know that when we look all throughout histories, we've seen tsunamis, we've seen superstorms, we've seen flooding, we've seen, we've seen a lot of things, but never have we again have seen a worldwide flooding. And it's always interesting because I'll I'll always remember after Sandy, after Hurricane Irene, that that the rainbows came out. And it was a sign that, that even though we've seen moments of devastation and destruction, that God was not destroying the earth. God had made a covenant to His creation. He made a covenant to humanity and He made a a covenant to all of His creation that He will never destroy it again. A covenant. A covenant is a binding agreement that will not be broken. In elementary terms, it's, it's simply a promise. It's simply when Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no, that, that whenever God said that He was going to do something, He always did it. Now there's two kind of promises and covenants in Scripture when we look at it. The first is simply this. That there were clauses. Now, we all like promises with clauses, right? Because we like to determine the clauses. And God would say that I'm going to bless you, I'm going to further you, I'm going to do great things with you, but, but this is what you need to do. You need to live within this context of our covenants. And then you had other covenants where God said, I'm going to do it no matter what. No matter what your response is, no matter what your reaction is, I'm going to fulfill my promise. You see, in a world where we think about promises and covenants, it's something that is only as good as the person giving it. Correct? 
And in all fairness, we almost look at promises and covenants as, as something that, that is not a full yes, it's a maybe. I mean, think about marriage. When I was growing up, I was that first generation where, where divorce was becoming more and more known. It wasn't the norm, though. It wasn't the norm. I had friends whose parents were divorced. I had a good number of friends whose parents were divorced. But never, when I was standing in a room with my friends, that I could almost divide the room in half, that these families were divorced and these families were still together and many of them were always on the verge of ending. And so when we look at this generation, when we use words like promises and covenants, it, in some ways it doesn't mean much. It means like a good handshake. It means like a, uh, an almost maybe. It almost means like the one word that, that I hate more than anything in my house is the word sure. It's not yes, it's not no, but it's sure. When my kids hear me say sure, that automatically means what? No. It ain't happening. Don't ask. You're not getting squat. But we don't even understand. We see contracts within, within businesses. We see contracts within relationships. We see contracts with, with just finances. That, that there's always this clause that we know that even though we sign on the dotted line, that there's always a way out. And yet, that's never how God created covenants and promises to be. God was always clear and honest and upfront. This is what this looks like. Or this is what this looks like. And if you live in this place, then yes, all the blessings will heaven will be upon you. And there are, and there are covenants and promises that no matter what you do, no matter what you do, God is faithful. And God cannot say no to Himself. So oftentimes we think as this is the big first promise in Scripture, Genesis chapter 9, right? Let's back it up. Let me really mess you up this morning. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. It says here in Genesis chapter 3, 14 and 15, just flip back a couple pages, Genesis 3, verse 14 and 15, and says, Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So before we ever get to Noah, there was another scenario where humanity was living in a place of perfection with God. Have you ever been in that moment, whether it be in worship or in prayer or reading your word, that you literally feel that, that God is in the room? That there's nothing that separates the two of you? That it's He and you, and there's this almost like this perfectness that's going on right in your midst? That was like the garden. That was like the garden all the time. 
It said that Adam and Eve walked with God. That Adam and Eve were in His presence and that we're all was perfect and, and they were naked and not ashamed. But then, the serpent, a.k.a. Satan, saw God's creation, saw what He had formed, saw how they had worshipped Him, and said, I want that same worship unto me. And what the serpent was wanting to be was was God-like. And the serpent was wanting to be God to Adam and Eve. And the serpent went to Adam and Eve and he manipulated them. He specifically manipulated Eve. Because when even the serpent saw all of creation, he knew that humanity was his greatest of all. When he saw the lions and he saw the bears and he, and he saw the dogs and the puppies and the cats and the birds and, and the fish and all these different things, he noticed that there was something different about these two and everything else. And for him to be a God, to be God-like, he had to get these two's undivided devotion. And for one split second, he did. For one moment in the garden, he did. And the only way he did it was through lies. Through lies. That trust that Adam and Eve were going to have in the serpent was based on one lie. And the moment they sinned, the moment they both bit into that apple, their eyes were open, their hearts were open, their ears were open, their senses were open, that something was broken, and God went and found them. And He not only found the two of them, but He also found the serpent. And right there, we see the first promise in Scripture. And I find it very interesting that the promise that, that God had made was to the serpent. He made a promise, a covenant to the serpent that simply said this, you will now crawl on your belly. In other words, he had feet and legs. I am going to take them away from you and here is the promise that I'm going to give you. First and foremost, there will be enmity between humanity and you. There will be enmity and hatred and strife between you and my greatest creation. Now think about this. Why is it there a point in all of our lives that we try to fill our lives with everything that this world has to offer? Relationships, finances, uh, materialism. But yet there's this, still this empty cavity in our soul that can never be filled. 
There's still this empty place. And, and for Satan, what he was trying to do was saying, I can fill that void more than God can. But even when Satan, all of the tools that he's given to this world, and all he's done is he's taken what God has created and he's tainted it, that still we are left with this emptiness. And what God was saying to Satan is this. There'll always be a need for me. And there's nothing you can do to resolve and heal the emptiness that which my spirit is supposed to dwell. And God promised the serpent that you will never, ever, ever, ever be able to fill it. You look at all of creation and you look at humanity and all you see is God all over it. But then you see humanity and it's the greatest creation that He ever, ever made. And when we were wounded by sin, God went on a mission to restore us. But then He says this, her offspring will strike you. In other words, another translation says her seed will bruise you. Another translation says, her seed will crush your head. You might bite His heel, but He will destroy you. And that seed is Jesus. He had said that you will never fill the void of humanity and on top of that, the seed of the woman will destroy you. You know, when we look at the Christmas narrative, we look at this soft and comfy story. One that is so almost too comfortable that it's it's almost impossible to believe. Correct? It's something that we want to really believe, but when you look at the fullness of what was going on with this child, it's a game changer in our lives. Let me read a, a passage, a, a, a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 about this child. It says here, for you will break the yoke of their slavery, Isaiah chapter 9, 4 through 7, and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fueled for the fire. Now think about this. Usually we read this, this next verse by somebody saying, for a child is born to us. A son is given. 
we read this in the nicest, softest tone. The most welcoming and warm invitation about this cute little baby. But think about all the stuff that it just said leading up to something. But it says, for a child is born to us. Amen? A son is given to us. Amen? Now check this out. This is not lofty. This is not soft. This is not comfortable. It says, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Check this out. This is not really a comfortable picture of of just sitting in a manger. It says, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord's heaven's armies will make this happen. How many have ever seen that movie Taken? Remember the movie Taken? Come on, we can all say we saw it, right? How many of you guys saw it, right? Come on, raise your hands. Have you seen it? Liam Nilsson. About 10 years ago, my dad looked just like Liam Nilsson. So when you see this, when you see my dad, I used to always crack up. I'm like, Dad, you were in some movies. He's like, no, I wasn't. He actually has been stopped in the airport and people asked him if he was Liam Nielsen or the old basketball coach from Cincinnati. Side note. Anywho, but in the movie Taken, his daughter was abducted. And he got the abductor on the phone. Do you remember the scene? He says, you may not know me, but I'm a man of many skills. I am a man who will find you and I will break you and I will destroy you and kill you if you do not return my daughter. And when I think about that scene in Taken, I think about Genesis chapter 3. That God had said to the serpent, I am going to destroy you for destroying that which is most valuable to me. I am going to crush your head. That's what it says. It doesn't sound like God's too nice here, does it? We think God is going to crush our heads. God does not want to crush humanity's head for sin. He wants to crush the Creator of sin's head. He wants to crush that which made sin enter the world. And he says, I'm not going to say that there's a clause, that there's a way out of this, that you're going to get a second chance, that that maybe you can go to heaven. He says that no matter what, the one thing I will do is I'm going to send my seed, my son, who will be born in a way that humanity cannot understand. And that son will destroy the power of sin and death. That is the Christmas narrative. It's like this. Someone messes with your child. Someone messes with that which you love more than anything. And there's something that bubbles in you that you're thinking, this is inhumane. This is not normal. This is not happening. This is not possible. 
And you felt that anger that that which you love has been either affected or ripped from you. And there's this place that you go to and God is saying that that place that I am going to is holy and pure because you have been stolen from me. And I'm going to rescue you back. And at the end of all this, I'm going to crush the one who invited it into the world. We think about this idea of Satan. Like, remember, remember the church lady from Saturday Night Live? Now, who is it? Satan? Right? You remember that? I mean, that was like the greatest thing ever. Like, everything was Satan. Satan was behind a tree. Satan was in every actor or actress that came onto the set. And it became a mockery. Because that's how we look at Satan. We truly believe that he's a myth, part of poetry, part of literature. But when you really look at Scripture and what God has been saying from the beginning of humanity, that He is real and He is alive and He has one purpose. To steal, kill, and destroy. And the whole purpose that He lives on is one thing. A lie. It says this, that Jesus says in John the Gospel that He came to destroy the works of the devil. That He came to destroy the works of the devil. Now listen to what Jesus says in in John chapter 8. This is how He defines me. He says, and He's talking about, about Satan. He's talking about the one in the garden. He says, He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in Him. When He lies, it is consistent with His character. Read that again. When he lies, would you all read this together? Every time you're tempted, every time you make a bad decision, every time you're feeling pulled to the dark side, let's read this out loud. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And the father of lies. And God said, This Christmas story that we love to glamorize is the most romantic story in the face of humanity. Because our Heavenly Daddy has come to rescue us from the power of sin and death. Is that a cool? Is that amazing? Isn't that a whole new way to look at the promise of God? Isn't that more than just a rainbow in the sky? Isn't that more than we could ever imagine? That all the things that have held us down, all the things that have ruined our relationships with others, that God said that the one who invented those lies, that, and all our reactions, all our behavior, all our negative responses, whenever we do something contrary against God, it's because we believed a lie. When we say that Satan made me do it, all he made us do was believe a lie. He didn't put a drink in your hand. He didn't put a cigarette in your hand. He didn't put an opportunity. Maybe he put an opportunity of lying in your hand. But the only thing that you did is you believed it. You said it's more. I say it's more than God can give me. When I'm in a place of anxiety and choices of frustration, I choose is God fully in control or am I going to believe 
the lies. That's it. He's the father of lies. He cannot make you do anything except believe a lie. That's it. And our apples are all different. Our apples are all different, but an apple is an apple. Sin is sin. Temptation is temptation. Just like a lie is a lie. This Christmas season, is a billboard. It's not a reminder that our Heavenly Father sent His seed, His offspring, that we may have eternal life. Amen? And that He loves you so much that the one who wants to see you destroyed, his son crushed him. And because of that, just like how easy it is to believe a lie, we have a choice to believe the truth. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring that your faith, that you are saved. As the Scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Do you know what's so beautiful about God and His clauses and His covenants? When He says them, they're going to happen. And there are some with clauses, and there are some that are going to happen no matter what. And this one's already done. The enemy had a taste at the cross. But there will be a day where he and all of his minions will be forever destroyed. We are faithless no matter what. You may have a faithful day. You may have a week or a year of obedience. You might have even a really good run with your struggles and your habits. You may be someone who struggles with alcohol or smoking or, or pornography or, or, or gambling or, or one of these big things that, that are easily blind individuals. But let me tell you something. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. And so often what we do is we try to, we try to kind of calculate how well we're doing with God by what we are or are not doing. Correct? I read my Bible today. Check. I'm with God. I said a prayer today. Check. I'm with God. I didn't gamble today. Check, I'm with God. And then what happens the next day? God's not with you? It says in Scripture that even when we are faithless, He is what? He is faithful. 
He is faithful. And the more that you see a faithful God, the more you desire to live in obedience for Him. Amen? How true is that? The more you see the faithfulness of a faithful God, the more you want to be faithful to Him. But the most beautiful thing is this. That even in my faithful, faithlessness, my daddy is faithful. And because of that, I want to live in obedience. And I want to help him crush the head of the liar. I want to stop living a life that's filled with lies. I want to stop being easily deceived by the things that pull me from him and his purpose. And today, what the Christmas narrative is, is that there's a promise that you no longer have to be controlled by the father of lies because he's crushed his head and it's done. Let me wrap up with this one, one moment. For many people, it's hard to call God Father. Because men, fathers have been really bad over the last 20 years, 30 years. And many of all of us have had situations with a parent who we almost looked at as godified and failed us in some way. And so often we, 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 we coordinate our, our, our living parents with a holy God. And there's that hard crossover to go to because you know that you've broken promises to your children. So God must break His promises with me. For some of you, you've seen a parent who's cheated You've seen a parent who's been abusive and it's hard to see that father as someone that, 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 that heavenly father as something is good and holy and pure and has the best of intentions. For some of you, you've experienced a father or a parent who said that, that my kid will never be better than me and so I'll always keep them in a place of oppression. And so you look at the father of heaven saying, I'll let him, get, I'll let him do so well and then I'll crush him to keep him humble, right? We like to say God likes to keep us humble. Okay, come on. You don't understand the humility of God the way that God looks at humility. But today, some of you need a healing. That you can re-look at God as the perfect daddy who's here to protect you, go to war for you, and to give you the greatest gift ever, Salvation. I want to invite the band to come forward. We're going to go into a time right now of worship and communion. And I feel like this morning, more than anything else, it's a, it's a time of healing. Because we can say we believe the promises of God but are we willing to accept God as our loving Father? If we can't accept Him fully for who He is, we could never understand Him fully.
For some of you out there, this might be an opportunity for you to have some healing. That you need some prayer that I need healing for my father wound. That I don't understand God as Abba. I don't understand him as daddy. But today I want to. For some of you fathers out there that have have been a little bit too harsh on your children. Yes, I'm saying this. Because there's been moments in my parenting that I've had to sit my kids down and say, you know what? I was a really poor example of a good, good daddy. This morning might be a time of repentance. Can I begin to trust God? Because you've only mirrored what you've seen someone else do to you. For you who've had amazing fathers that you say, hey, I look at God perfectly, then you need to, you need to thank that father for being that model. We're going to come to the communion table and it's going to be a time of celebration. We're going to have our prayer team over there. If you need prayer, feel free to go over there. But this morning, you need to understand one thing. That God is the lover of your soul. And He will protect you and rescue you no matter what.